the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Billy Graham once said, death is our friend. Death is not our friend. Death stinks. And yet the Egyptians thought that they had a way of cheating death so they could take the smell away. They could make it smell good. They could make it part of the future. That is Pastor Michael Oxentanko, and this is Reaching Your Heart. Here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Don't forget the worship service is held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. We would love to see you there, and we will have details on that as we continue on with today's program. You can also watch the broadcast live, streaming at reachinghearts.org slash video every Saturday at 11. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Today on Reaching Your Heart, Pastor Michael Oxentanko brings you a message he entitles, The Wings of the Morning. That's The Wings of the Morning. We hope you enjoy it. And here is Pastor Mike. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you today for Jesus. Son of God, crucified, who rose for us. Father, there's a lot of things that people put their hopes in, but the one that matters most is Jesus, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. I'm grateful that Christ died for our sins. I'm grateful He was buried to remove them from us, and I am grateful that He rose for our justification, our acceptance so that in Christ, in Christ alone, we are complete. Father, may we seek Jesus as our perfection and thus be changed people for all our lives. Bless your people and the preacher toward that end. In Jesus' name, amen. This is the last sermon in our series on the life of Joseph. I must admit that this has been a life-changing journey for me. I have not preached on Joseph in all of my ministerial career until this series. I don't know why I put it off, but it came at the right time in my life. And the title of the sermon is The Wings of the Morning. William Blake once wrote that no bird soars too high if he soars with his own wings. In Exodus 19.4, God said, Behold how I brought you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Friend, God is our hope. And hope in God is the bird with wings that perches in the soul, that makes the soul to fly. We can go from here to eternity because God gives us the wings of hope. Faith in God is the spirit wind that sends true hope higher and higher so that faith and hope in God, like two angels' wings, carries the fragile heart like a bird safe to God's nest on the wings of the morning. Friend, I am grateful that the God who visited this world at the dawn of time, that hovered over the deep as the Holy Spirit, that that God went to the cross in the person of Jesus Christ, and that in Christ we have a new morning, a new beginning. 
In the plan of God, we were made for life, for love, and a future. God is in the living business. God is not in the dying business. And friend, God finds us everyone. That means you. God finds us in a desert place in life. He finds us on the other side of Eden's door. And the great God of love who finds us, lifts us up on eagle's wings, and brings us to himself on the wings of the morning. My favorite devotional writer once wrote this profound statement in The Desire of Ages that I'd like to share with you. Some people say, well, Pastor Mike, why do you like this book, The Desire of Ages? I'm going to tell you why. My dad found Jesus Christ through this book, The Desire of Ages. Is that an important book? You know, by their fruits, you'll know them. More people have been deepened in their love of Jesus through this book than any other book outside the Bible in human history. I will quote it for its spiritual value. She says, worry is blind and cannot discern the future, but Jesus sees the end from the beginning. In every difficulty, he has his way prepared to bring relief. Our Heavenly Father has a thousand ways to provide for us of which we know nothing. Those who accept the one principle of making the service and honor of God supreme will find perplexities vanish and a plain path before their feet. I don't want any perplexities. I want a plain path before my feet. So where he is blind, I must trust in Jesus. Are you with me? So friend, if we're to get through life, if we're to manage the hard stuff that comes at us that we can't predict, we can't control, we need Jesus in our life. It's that plain, that simple, that profound. Now the last thing Jacob ever did for his children was to bless them and to challenge them to remain faithful to God and true to God, to set the course of their life with a blessing. With his new name, Israel, he blessed his children with God's blessing, not his, God's blessing. God spoke through him, a unique blessing for every child that would determine the course of their destiny. He then instructed all his children to take his dead body, because he was soon to die, to take his dead body to Canaan to be buried in the cave of Machpelah, where Abraham, Isaac, and his wife Rebekah and his own wife Leah were buried. The family burial vault. He said, take me there. Jacob chose to be buried in the cave with the woman he didn't want to marry. Now think about that. Rebekah had been buried near Bethel, but he wanted to be buried with the woman he didn't want to marry, but who hung in there for the greater part of his life, who was the wife of the long journey in his life. Leah's name in Hebrew means a wild cow. As I've said, I don't know why Laban would have named her wild cow. I mean, that would be a difficult thing to carry through life. By the way, wild cow, come here. Would you help your mother with the dishes? Every time she heard her name, she was demoralized by the man who had given her name. And she was the unlikely person that would never marry, never have a hope. But she's the wife that hung in there with him for his entire journey. And so he came to love her. You know, friends, love is hard. It's easy to give up on love. It's easy to give up on the person that you're with. But he came to love her as his wife and not as a wild cow. The wild cow, Leah, tamed him. And then after blessing his children and charging them to take his body home to the cave of Machpelah, Jacob pulled his wrinkly feet into his bed, and the Bible says he died. That's how he died. The Bible says he was gathered to his fathers. Genesis 50 verse 2 picks up from there. Let's take our Bibles and turn there. Genesis 50 verses 1 and 2. Then Joseph fell on his father's face, verse 1, and wept over him and kissed him, verse 2. 
And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians embalmed Israel. Forty days were required for it, for so many are required for embalming. And the Egyptians wept for him seventy days. Now numbers matter in the Bible. And what's most significant here, Joseph fell on his father's face. And his teary face met his father's warm face for the very last time. He felt his face grow cold. Joseph wept over him because he, like no other, had shared his father's pain, his suffering, the coldness of his life. Somehow the son and the father had mirrored existences where they were suffering together, twin sufferers in a life journey that would change the world. And so he put his face next to his father's and tears fell on his dead father's face. Joseph's brothers were weak. When you read the storyline, it's so obvious. They were just weak men, but Joseph was strong. The strong always carry the burdens of the weak. And the ignorant, as they suffer more and feel pain more, because profound people feel the struggle of life at a profound level. Most people don't. And so those who are called to suffering, those who are called to be the impasse, the leaders, the sigma leadership style that was possessed by Joseph, that unique introverted style that can become extroverted when called upon, those kind of people bear the brunt of evil and difficulty for the good of others. Joseph came as a servant. In the book of Genesis, Jacob and Joseph are the twin sufferers who bear the full impact of the sins and bad choices of Joseph's brothers. Verse 2 says in the Revised Standard Version that Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. We just read it. But the Hebrew literally says this, Joseph commanded his healers to spice up his father. That's how it is in the original language. When you embalm someone, you spice them up. I don't think you want to pour pepper, but maybe you pour some sweet rose petals or something. I don't know what they did, but they spiced them up in the embalming process. Let's face it, death stinks. Would you agree with me? Billy Graham once said, death is our friend. Death is not our friend. Death stinks. And yet the Egyptians thought that they had a way of cheating death so they could take the smell away. They could make it smell good. They could make it part of the future. The Bible says they took 40 days to embalm him. That's the same number for the 40 days and 40 nights in Noah's flood when the waters of the flood prevailed upon the earth. It's the same number for the years in the future wandering the children of Israel in the desert when the scorpions and the snakes would sting and bite the unbelievers and they would die. The number 40 is an awful number. In fact, it first appears in the sequence of the use of the name Elohim in Genesis chapter 2 and 3 because God without Lord... Elohim alone is numbered in a sequence of 40 to show that the knowledge of God the Creator without the knowledge of the covenant God who is our friend is 40. It's barren. It's desert. It's like the flood. It's empty. It's full of death. We must know God as our friend, not just intellectually. The number 40 in the Bible represents a wasteland, a place without a life, a place without living water, or a place with too much of it so that everything dies in the flood that is 40 days and 40 nights. They embalmed Israel, who was Jacob, for 40 days, and then they mourned for 70 more days. That's a lot of time to give to one man's death. 70 is the number for the nations in Genesis 10. You look at the genealogy in Genesis 10, you count them up, 70 nations. And yet we know that according to Deuteronomy 32.8, that when the Most High numbered the sons of Israel, he numbered them to match the nations of the earth in Genesis 10. It says so. 
So 70 is also the number for the children of Israel. In Exodus 1, 5, 70 of the children of Israel who came from his loins came down to Egypt. So 40 plus 70 is what number? We've got any mathematicians? Get out your calculator. Help the pastor out. I didn't take calculus. 70 plus 40 is what? 130? Your heads are shaking. What is the number? 120? 110. Okay, let's take a vote. 110. How many mathematicians out there? Okay, this is math by unanimous vote. 110. Now, it's no accident that Joseph will live to be 110 years of age when he dies. That number matches his years of life. Joseph's fate in his troubled life here, it is symbolically matched as years for the days of Jacob's embalming and mourning. The Egyptians embalmed their dead for the soul called the Ka. That's what they called the soul, the Ka. It could escape death and then return to the cold body so the soul wouldn't die. So you needed a body, a dead body, for the soul to live on. But you better make sure that body is well preserved. So they spiced it up. The Egyptians could not imagine an afterlife without the dead body. Somehow being dragged along for the ride into the afterlife. They buried the pharaohs with their treasures and their toys and their servants freshly killed because they believed that when you die, you can take it all with you. This idea you can't take it with you is not in the Egyptians' frame of mind. When you die, you can take it with you. And so the pharaohs did. The afterlife for the ancient Egyptians was just more of this life taken to the next life. Their bodies safely embalmed, spiced up in a box for the future. They could live on because their ka would have a place to return to have a place to come home. Egypt is the strongest origin point in civilization for the doctrine of spiritualism, which has overtaken our Hollywood industry, which is part of the secular culture. There are whole political movements. I've mentioned communism and socialism that can be traced to the principles of spiritualism. And the Bible is extremely clear that spiritualism at the time of the end will be part of the trifold union that is in time Babylon. They called the soul the caw, and they believed that the soul that is the caw would fly like a kite at night, as free as a bird, and then every morning return to the body where the soul was safe for the day. So without a body in a coffin, the Egyptians believed the soul had no future to live on. Because for the Egyptians, a mummy in a box was the holding place for the soul that might live forever if no one stole the box with the mummy inside. So hang on to that box if you want to have eternal life. That is why they wrote curses on those mummy boxes. And many a movie has been made about the mummy's curse in modern days when John Carter discovered the burial chamber of Tutankhamun right there on the box were the curses. And people have noted that so many people that helped find the mummy died strange or tragic deaths. Who knows? I don't think it had anything to do with that. Obviously not. But boy, it made a good movie afterwards. For the Egyptians, the soul is the ka that can never fully escape the trapped body in the box that is dead. That's a lousy view of eternal life, isn't it? Who wants to be trapped in a burial box and call that eternal life? That's the Egyptian view. In verse 5, the story continues. Genesis 55 to 8. My father made me swear, saying, I'm about to die. In my tomb, which I hewed out for myself in the land of Canaan. He's talking to Pharaoh. There you shall bury me. Therefore, let me go up. He says, Pharaoh, let me go. I pray you and bury my father, then I will return. Joseph was sold into Egypt by his brothers, and the only time he returned home was to bury his father in the burial cave of his ancestors, beginning with Sarah and Abraham. The Bible provides here a fascinating statement. 
Jacob was buried by his children in a cave that was already there waiting for him at Machpelah, but in a tomb that he himself had carved out for a burial box of sorts implied, a sepulcher tomb carved out of the cave. We'll continue with today's Reaching Your Heart and Pastor Michael Oxentenko in just a moment. If you'd like to attend the worship service, I will have details on how you can do that here at the close of our broadcast today, so please stay tuned. You can always attend online at reachinghearts.org slash video. That's reachinghearts.org slash video. Many archived messages are available there for you, and you can attend the live service in a streaming format at that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Let's continue now with Pastor Michael Oxentenko in today's Reaching Your Heart. The place for his burial was his father's cave, as his father before him had been buried, and Abraham before that, the cave of Machpelah. Jacob carved out his own tomb in that cave at Machpelah before he came to meet Joseph in Goshen. I don't know why or when he did it, but maybe his life was so bad. He kept telling everybody, my soul's going to go down to Sheol. So he carved out a place in that cave. So when he died, he could quickly be put there. Abraham bought that cave with its field from Ephraim, the Hittite, when Sarah died. Ephraim's name in Hebrew means dust, strangely so. God told Adam that he would return to the dust from which he was taken. And that fact has been true for every child of Adam ever since. To this day, Jacob chose to live and to die in the shadow of his fathers and to align his end with their end and their common fate for the future. Now, we call that kind of a connection. When you live with the mind of your ancestors, we call that legacy. Abraham and Isaac left a legacy for Jacob, the troubled Jacob, the liar Jacob, the Jacob with all the character faults. His life was changed because the legacy of his ancestors, the faith that they had affected him in time. Sometimes parents say, well, Pastor Mike, I don't know how my children are ever going to make it. I don't know how they can be saved. Right now, they're not walking with God. They're rebellious. And that may be true. But I know from Scripture that God works on our children, that he loves them, that our prayers follow them. And that if you are faithful to God and you have a smile on your face about it and you love the Lord Jesus, you leave a legacy that will follow your children all their lives. And at the golden moment when it's right for them, the great God of heaven will intervene for your children. Verse 6, and Pharaoh answered, go up and bury your father as he made you swear. So Joseph went up to bury his father and with him went up all the servants of Pharaoh the elders of his household and all the elders of the land of Egypt, as well as all the household of Joseph, his brothers, and his father's household. Only their children, their flocks, and their herds were left in the land of Goshen. What a picture. It was a huge entourage that went with Joseph and his brothers in the funeral procession to the land of Canaan. If you've been a satellite in outer space, you'd have seen this long strand of humanity moving like a snake toward the land of Canaan. For a brief time, the greatest people of Egypt left Egypt to follow a dead body of a Hebrew old man and his son, Joseph, who had become prime minister to the cave of Machpelah that God and Abram and Sarah had kind of worked out as a promise for the future. Joseph's brothers and their family went also with all these Egyptians. Their children stayed behind in the land of Goshen because that was their new home. It was also a safe place to stay. No doubt Canaan had recovered from the famine in the seven years that were hard. And so it opened up the way for the family to go back, but they didn't want to go back. They wanted to stay in Egypt because that was their new home for a while. 
Goshen become a pleasant place for them. It means in Hebrew cultivated. And there they could start over again. There they could forget all the trouble of the land of Canaan. God had said the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. They had to leave Canaan because it was getting morally bad there. And so God pulled them into this holding cell called Goshen. So that as the moral depravity of Canaan went south, his people would go up in ever ascending levels to know God. So once more, they made a trip, not to stay, but to visit to the land of Canaan. They carried their father's body back to the field that Abraham bought from Ephraim, whose name means dust. They left with their chariots and their horses. And the Hebrew text indicates that the camp was, in the original Hebrew, exceedingly heavy that made the journey. They took everything they could with them. It was a massive sight to behold. It looked like an invasion from Egypt, but it wasn't. It was a burial train with a body leading the way. Genesis 50 verse 10. Let's take our Bibles and focus in. It says, when they came to the threshing floor, what's the word there in the text? A tod, which is beyond the Jordan. They lamented there with a great and sorrowful lamentation. And he made a mourning for his father seven days. The Bible says the heavy funeral train came at last to this place called Atad, the threshing floor of Atad. Atad in Hebrew means thorns or bramble. The same word is used in Psalms 58 verse 9. Before your pots can feel the burning thorns, Atad, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind in his living and burning wrath. Friend, death is a thorn that stings. Death not only stinks, Death stings, and it leaves its sting in the dead body that cannot rise from the dead unless God pulls the stinger out. Paul, no doubt, had the Hebrew word atad in mind when he wrote that death has a sting and it is sharp. I once heard the true story of a mother who was driving her car and a little girl in the back and a bee came through the window and it got locked in and the young girl began to scream, Mommy, Mommy, there's a bee in the car. It's going to sting me, Mommy, Mommy. And the little girl watched her mother take with her one hand the bee in its hand as she continued to drive. She says, Mommy, where's the bee? Where's the bee? She said, it's in my hand. Where's the stinger, Mommy? Where's the stinger? She says, it's in my hand too. You will not be stung by the bee. Friend, at the cross of Calvary, Jesus took the stinger. At the cross of Calvary, Christ became sin for us. One man died for every man that no man would ever have to die in eternal death, that all men and women would live for the one who died for them. Christ took the stinger out of us. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, 55 to 57. O death, where is thy victory? O death, where is thy sting? This is the second coming when Jesus returns. And the graves are open. The voice of Christ calls thousands, yea, millions to life who have died in Christ to recognize as his children in the future kingdom. And then it says the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Now what does that mean? It means this. Because we sinned and we broke the law, the law says you stay in the grave. That's the power of the law. The Ten Commandment law that can never be changed. When we broke it, everyone has. According to the law, you've got to stay dead. But guess what? Jesus broke the power of the law to keep you in the grave because Christ died for our sins. He atoned for the broken law so that Christ can legally resurrect you from the dead because he has already bore the consequences of your evil. The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But, I like the but, 
thanks to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Egyptians didn't know that. No fancy theology of a caw could be better than this. The Greek word for sting here is kentron in the Greek, and it means a sharp point like a goat. The same Greek word is used in the Septuagint Greek translation of the Hebrew in Hosea 13, 14. God is asking the question, shall I ransom them from the power of Sheol, that means the grave? Shall I redeem them from death? O death, where are your thorns? O Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion will be hidden from my sight. Now he's talking about judgment here. But what's significant, we see that death is a sting, like a thorn. It has a sharp point. It hurts to die. Death is a sharp thorn. It stings. And that is why they came to the place called a Todd. That means thorns. And there they wept all together for seven days. God created the world in seven days, and for seven days they wept because their father was dead, and creation was undone. The way Genesis starts, it starts with life and light. It ends with death and a burial procession. It's the opposite of Genesis 1 to 3. When all the people of the land of Canaan saw all the Egyptians weeping together at the place called Atat, they gave the place another day. They called it Abo Mitzrayim, which means the mourning or weeping of the Egyptians. For seven days at a tot, they all cried together because death is a thorn and it stings. As smart as the Egyptians were, they couldn't fix death because the power of death stings. Death itself stinks and you can't get rid of the drawing magnetic force of death that pulls you all the way down to the Dead Sea, the lowest spot on earth. That will complete the first portion of Pastor Mike's message entitled, The Wings of the Morning. Please join us again next time when we complete this broadcast. We would really love for you to be a part of our worship service. It's held every Saturday at 11 o'clock. That address is 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. 6100 Brooklyn Bridge Road, Laurel, Maryland, 20707. Or if you're more comfortable, you're certainly welcome to watch online at reachinghearts.org slash video reachinghearts.org slash video. The live broadcast will be streaming and available for you on that website, reachinghearts.org slash video. Thanks for listening, and we do pray that God is reaching your heart. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.